let's uh, turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse um, 8 to 11 that, we, that Mary read for us. And let me pray now. Father, thank you for your word and thank you that you speak to us in our lives today. We pray that you would do that now. And um, please open our eyes by your Holy Spirit. Prepare us for what you want us to hear and help us then to um, be ready as our hearts are changed by you to live in response to what we hear as we go from here into this week. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so why do kings have jesters? That's a question um, that was posed by Blaise Pascal in the uh, 17th century. Um, you might have heard of Pascal, you know, mathematician. He had a triangle. Um, you can ask me about that sometime. I might be able to tell you one, two things. But the point was, kings have jesters, he said, because they are the people who have everything else sorted. So kings don't have to worry about where their food comes from. Their time is not taken up working the land and keeping their homes clean and everything else in between. They get the best medical attention available. They have all the material uh, possessions they could possibly need or want. And so Pascal says they have jesters because with everything else sorted in their lives, all that is left is to contemplate their own mortality. And uh, so uh, they just use the jesters to stop, to keep them from thinking about death. Now, I don't know what you make of that. That was true of kings in the 17th century, but it's probably true of most of our society in this country today, isn't it? Isn't that why, perhaps why we're obsessed with entertainment? Because, you know, we, we think we've got most, uh, you know, everything else in place. Or so we thought until COVID-19 came along. Um, but I guess even then, whilst it is for some uh, a, a thing that brings anxiety for a number of reasons and real anxiety, I guess for, 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 still for others, it's not so much the existential threat to life that bothers us but it's the things around the edges, the loss of freedom, the boredom, the frustration of things not going as we planned. Um, even the prayers that the Church of England has released for this time of pandemic, um, um, surprisingly in some ways, they focus entirely on the here and now, on the present comfort and healing from illness. Um, the, the, the prayer, the official prayers, you find them on the Church of England website, they don't mention death. They don't mention needing to be ready for eternity. And I guess in that respect, the Church of England, as it often does, is, is basically just reflecting the cultural mood of our country. It's probably not what people want to hear. You know, somebody in, in the sort of central church house or whatever is, is thinking, and that's why uh, we'd better not put that in the prayers because we can't, we won't, we refuse to talk about death. But when we turn to the Bible, what we find is an expectation that Christians will need to talk about death, and they will need to be prepared for death. And not just because of illness, but for a whole other category of reasons, to do with persecution. Now, over the last 2,000 years, the, the church has 
has faced both plague and persecution um, you know, many, many different times in different ways in different places. And, and both plague and persecution have meant that the seasons in which Christians have lived comfortably and securely have actually been rare. And well, it depends on the time and the place and the season for, for, for how life goes for Christians. And the striking thing about these letters to the seven churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation is that there are a variety of um, situations that are addressed in these uh, seven letters. There is wealth and poverty. There is false teaching and doctrinal purity. There is persecution and comfort. The overall context is one of suffering. John is receiving these visions in himself, in exile, on Patmos, we're told back in chapter one, and each letter that he receives is Jesus speaking and applying the overall message of the book to suffering Christians in individual churches. And here is a city called Smyrna, verses 8 to 11. Uh, roughly where the city Izmir is today, where um, uh, Christians then were being persecuted. Now, Smyrna was known as the Phoenix City. It was the city that had risen from the ashes because in 600 BC it was destroyed and then rebuilt by Alexander the Great. So Phoenix City it was, an, it was an impressive place. It was kind of London or New York. It was a, it was a rich city with a small Christian minority who were being persecuted. Now we're not really in that situation of full-on obvious persecution, but actually the first recipients of this letter weren't just the people in Smyrna. The way this works is all the, the, the people in all these churches get to hear what is being said, not just to them, but to all the other churches as well. They're kind of listening in. And there's a sense in which if any church is suffering persecution, every church needs to hear about it. And actually, that's still true today. And that's why, even though um, from a persecution point of view, we can say, well, we live in relative freedom in this country. That's why actually we, we recognize it's really important that we support open doors, for example, and we hear about and we pray about the persecuted church around the world so that we can stand in solidarity with those who are suffering, who are brothers and sisters. And it, and it helps us think about how we might respond in the future if we find ourselves in more per serious persecution, even here in London or wherever we end up. Um, and one sure way of preparing for that future persecution, if and when it comes, is to consider <clears throat> our response to other types of suffering here and now. Because if we can't keep going when life is tough here and now, in whatever shape that might take, well, we certainly won't keep going when they point a gun at our heads and threaten to put us in prison. Do you see? So what do we need to hear then as Jesus speaks to this suffering church, as we think about what it means for us, preparing for future persecution, living in present suffering now, what do we need to hear? Jesus says four things, and we'll look at them briefly. Four things he says, I am, I know, do not be afraid, and be faithful. So here we go. First, I am. Jesus says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. 
Why would he say that to Smyrna? Remember, Smyrna is the city that died and came to life again. And he's saying, uh, don't be overawed by living in this great city that's kind of riding the wave and that's on the up and you feel like you're on the margins and on the outside. I am the first and the last. It began with me. It will end with me. Smyrna will go down into the ashes again one day. I know it's impossible to believe, but it will. And actually, we, from this vantage point, um, you know, a couple of thousand years later, we know that those uh, cities did not last forever and their prosperity came to an end. But Jesus died and rose from the dead. What's the worst thing that can happen to you if you're being persecuted for being a Christian? What's the worst thing? Well, the worst thing, you might think, well, the worst thing is you're going to be killed, and that's what I'm terrified of, as people are around the globe every day for being Christians. But Jesus says, no, I am the first and the last. I died and rose from the dead. Nothing beats that. Do you see? So do you remember top trumps? Maybe you're still playing top trumps, you know, uh, you know, the cards with the statistics about cars and boats. You know, there's, there's always one card in the pack that beats everything else. So uh, the particular one that I remember from the 1980s, if that doesn't sound like too long ago, was uh, the fantasy top trumps. And the top card, I wonder if anyone else remembers this, the top card in the 1980s fantasy top trumps was the demon. There were four categories. I can't remember what they were now, but there were four categories. And Demon had 100 for all of them. So if you had the Demon, you couldn't lose. So the game became really about who got the Demon from the pack first or who even fixed the pack in order to make them get the Demon. You know, that's what it was all about, which made it slightly less interesting. But if you've got, if you've got the Demon card on your side, you can't lose. And Jesus is saying, if you've got me on your side, you can't lose. I trump everything even persecution not even death can separate you from god so that's the first thing he says i am the first and the last i have died and risen i am and then i am i know secondly i know what does he say look verse nine i know your afflictions and your poverty yet you are rich i know the slander of those who say they are jews and are not but are a synagogue of satan jesus says to the christians i know you're having a hard time remember in those days the christians were the minority sect the jews were the recognized legal religion and some of them would go around dobbing in the christians to the authorities because you're allowed to be a jew but you're not allowed to be a christian and jesus says they think they're jews but true Jews will trust in the Messiah, you know, like, like many did in the first century, like the Apostle Paul did, and many like them, like John had done himself. Uh, but these ones, they're nothing but a synagogue of Satan. They're doing the devil's work of accusing Christians. Now, I, I guess in the context of 2,000 years of anti-Semitism, this is quite hard to hear and easy to miss here. And it's not a comment on all Jews everywhere by any means. Um, you know, as for a start, many of the Christians in those days were Jewish so, and, and still are. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's a comment on those particular people at that point who are going around beating up those particular Christians. But Jesus says, 
I know what's going on. You're afflicted. You're poor because probably your property is being confiscated and you, you can't meet in the open. You're afraid that your own family members might hand, you, might hand you over to the authorities. And yet you're rich, Christians. Understand you're rich. It may look like you're down to your last top trump card and you're about to lose, but the one card you've got is me, the unbeatable card. You are rich. You can't lose. But it is important that we know that Jesus knows what's going on when we suffer, isn't it? Think of all those petitions on the number 10 website. You know, you can sign it and then a few months later, maybe you might get a response from someone. I don't know if you've ever done that. And you occasionally get a sort of government minister who kind of sighingly uh, writes a paragraph of response to the points raised in the petition. Um, but, you, you know, you're always thinking, does, does anybody actually read what, what's being said here? Do they really take it seriously? Do they really know my situation? And even if they do do that, do they really, does any, has anyone experienced what I'm going through as I write this kind of plea about whatever the issue is? But Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I know what's happen happening to you. I've even been through it myself. The implication is, isn't it? Because... You know, he has known isolation. He has known loneliness. He's, he's been accused of crimes he hasn't committed. He's been found guilty, even when he's innocent. He's been unjustly punished and finally even killed. He said, do you see what he's saying? He's saying, I know all that. I know it from the inside. I don't just know that it's happening to you. I know what it feels like to have that happen to me. But verse eight, I am the one who died and came to life again. So when I say you are rich, I mean it. And as we said, this is written to persecuted Christians, but it's true for any of us when we suffer and go through tough, you know, really tough times. He says, I know what you're going through. But let me tell you, you are rich because I have defeated your greatest enemy. I have defeated death itself. Therefore, thirdly, do you see verse 10? Do not be afraid. So I am, I know. Now, thirdly, do not be afraid. I've, I've said this many times. You've probably heard me say it before. What's the most repeated command in the Bible? It's not love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, do not worship idols. It's do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison uh, to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days you're about to go through very difficult times and the 10 days remember you know the the um the, we've talked about this a bit before but the, the, you know the big symbolism in, t in revelation he probably doesn't mean 10 literal days but it's like it, it's it's a, a finite period that will happen to you um and, and that will be it and therefore, do not be afraid. Now, those words, do not be afraid, really depend on who and is saying them and why they're saying them, doesn't it? So, you know, because if you have a problem maybe with your plumbing, I hope you don't, but if you did, and you've got a flood in your kitchen and you're wondering what to do, and before you know it, I appear in your kitchen and I say to you, do not be afraid, don't worry, because I'm here, it's going to be okay. Let me tell you, if that happens, you should be very afraid, at least in the context of repairing your washing machine, because I haven't got a clue. But what about when Jesus says, 
don't be afraid. When it's Jesus speaking, it's a bit different because of those first two things we saw, I am and I know. I am the first and the last. Nothing trumps me. I know what you're going through. So don't be afraid. If you suffer, know that I've suffered too. If you die, know that I've defeated death. Know that I will make all things new. If you lose, if you lose loved ones, know that if they're trusting Jesus, they get to be with me. And I am the, God, I am the one who has died and risen. I'm in control. It will be okay. I've got this. Do not be afraid. And that's completely different from me turning up in your kitchen and trying to fix your plumbing. But how then does this actually make a difference at 3 a.m. when we're awake, worrying, or in the middle of the day when the unexpected phone call comes, or generally as we battle on with anxiety bubbling away underneath? I don't know about you, I find the Psalms are great medicine in, in those times to really get that truth that we know we, we kind of say oh, I know Jesus says I am and I know he says I know but I'm still anxious and I'm still worried well get this truth into your heart that's what it needs to be in order that you can then um, uh, address those fears that's what the psalmists do isn't it they, they, they preach to their souls when, when it says praise my soul the king of heaven it's kind of the psalmist knocking on the door of his heart and saying get this into your heart praise my soul the king of heaven even if you don't feel like praising him praise him praise him i, I heard a friend um, recently talk about how he uses psalm 46 that wonderful psalm that we heard read which has that that line be still and know that i am god and again, this is just about getting these, um, this truth that we know kind of with our heads sometimes is true, that Jesus is in control, but we don't feel like it's true in our lives. We, we need to preach it to our hearts. Be still and know that I am God. And so he says, look, just keep saying, you've got to keep saying it and say it and get it like this. You know, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be be still, be still and know, be still and know that I am, be still and know that I am God. And say that so that the voice in your head that's telling you everything's awful is not believing that anymore, it's believing, no, there is a God, Jesus is in control, he's died and risen and he knows that the, 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 your situation and what you're going through. That's why uh, these things make a difference. I am the one who died and came alive again. I know what you're suffering. I've been there. I've defeated death. So do not be afraid. Keep preaching that truth to our hearts when we struggle to believe it. And then lastly, be faithful. Do you see that halfway through verse 10? Be faithful even to the point of death. In other words, when the gun is against your head, do not deny Christ. When they ridicule you for your faith, stand firm. When they take away your property and put you in prison, trust him. When the worst happens in the face of this pandemic, whatever that might look like, stick with Jesus. Would we do that? Could we do that? Well, it sounds impossible. And we you know, think, oh, I don't know. Can I? Will I do that if the worst happens? Well, we will only do that if we have that vision of Christ as the first and the last who knows our sufferings and calls us not to be afraid. 
To those who are faithful, he will give the crown of life. To those who overcome, verse 11, he promises they will not be hurt at all by the second death, the day of judgment. He, you know, he promises you will be saved. You're safe with me for eternity. Before you choose this world over the world to come, he says, weigh it up. Which is, which is better? A bit of comfort now in a fallen world, if you can find that even. A bit of being left alone instead of people hammering on your door and wanting to kill you for your faith. Or being saved from the judgment we all deserve. Being given the crown of life which lasts forever in the world without suffering and death. So as we said before, as we hear these things, we need to ask ourselves first are we standing in solidarity with persecuted christians for whom this is daily life this is actually their experience at the sharp end and, and you know experiencing what he's talking about here um, you know and open doors can help us with that and it's great to be able to um, make use of their their resources and to be able to pray as we do but think about think of how we would feel if a member of our own family was being ill-treated in some way Think of how outraged we would feel and how desperate we would be to stand up um, on behalf, on their behalf against um, their oppressors. Well, those Christians in, in India, in Saudi Arabia, in Somalia, in China, in Iran, in, uh, in, in Pakistan, these are our family if we're Christians. These are our brothers and sisters. You know, if we're Christians, we have more in common with them than we do with some of our own flesh and blood. That's what, the, that's what this is saying. It's reported that George Floyd, who died um, last week, was a Christian and, you know, had been involved in Christian youth work in, in Houston, in Texas. And, you know, clearly his story was complicated. His life was complicated. Frankly, whose life isn't complicated if a journalist chooses to look into it? Um, but, but, you know, there's been some concern that when a black Christian dies, the white Christians don't kick up a fuss in the way they would if it had been a white Christian who had died in the way that George Floyd did. Well, these letters to the churches are here to remind us to look beyond ourselves and our own comfort, not just to sift out what we can apply to ourselves right here and right now, but to stand up for brothers and sisters in other places that may be completely different from North London and from Hampstead, where following Jesus has a different cost from what it does here. And to do that, even when we're suffering in our own way, and even while we're suffering, as we're suffering now today, we can still be standing up for them. Now, how do we do that? It's not simple, is it? And maybe we can talk about that in the Q&A. Um, about what that actually looks like in practice. I guess, I don't know, it starts with each of us looking at our own spheres of influence and thinking, in what way can I stand up with my, you know, stand with my persecuted brothers and sisters? Is it, is it through prayer? It might be prayer. It might be through drawing other people's attention to th their stories. If I'm on social media, it might be, you know, if I see something I can share with others that, 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 that just highlights something that's going on with a with a brother or sister somewhere else, you know, do that, do, share on social media or wherever I'm talking to people, where I'm, I'm having contact with people. Um, you know, just, just being aware of these things and drawing people's attention to them. So we can, I know, and if you've got ideas of, of other ways of doing that, we can talk about that in the Q&A. But we, we, we also need to ask ourselves if we are ready to be 
faithful in this way. And you can, you can begin to see whether you'd be ready to, to stand firm when, when persecuted by just looking at how you respond when suffering comes now. You know, how we are responding even now in these days. The, these truths about God and about Christ are true now in, in these days too. He says, I am the first and the last. I have defeated death. I know your suffering. I've been through worse. So do not be afraid. Be faithful. And if we can do that day by day with the regular suffering that comes from being human in God's strength with his help. We'll be ready when they bang on the door to arrest us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, you, Jesus is the first and the last who died and came to life again, who knows our affliction and our poverty. We think of brothers and sisters for whom this takes on a whole new um, meaning. It's a daily reality of suffering and fear. And we want to know what it means to stand with them, to pray for them, that they would know that Christians in the West care about them because we're their brothers and sisters. And we pray that we would be, uh, we would stand firm too in the, in the suffering that we experience here and now. And that if and when you call us to suffer in greater ways or in other ways or to be persecuted in the, um, in the future, might we be ready for that? We can't do this by ourselves. We can't possibly do this by ourselves. We thank you for Jesus, who is the first and the last, who equips his people for what they need for each day. And so we trust in you to do that for us today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.